Well, good morning, friends. I want to begin by wishing uh, all the moms and grandmoms and uh, uh, moms-to-be a happy Mother's Day. We are in a passage of scripture here, this just to give uh, to bring anyone who's not been with us up to speed in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, this called often the Olivet Discourse, but it's these final words of Jesus, this large extended sermon. And we are at the last part of that, the final really public ministry of Jesus. The final words are here in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. So if you have a copy of the Bible, open up to Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, and a message I've titled Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Follow along as I read these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, or go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of brothers, these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now this entire um, discourse, the extended sermon, we're just looking at the last piece of it, is an answer to a single question the disciples asked Jesus just by themselves together in Matthew chapter 24 at the beginning, chapter 24, verse 3, and they basically say, listen, Jesus, what's the sign of your coming, the second coming, and the end of the age? You know, when are you going to come, and what is the world going to look like when you come? Now, in his answer to this, we've looked at this just as a quick uh, reminder to us, if you've been with us in this series, the first third of Matthew 24, which is really a, just a small, or, or maybe the first half of Matthew 24, which is less than a third of the entire sermon, is Jesus is ser answering the first question. You know, what's, when's he going to come and what's it going to look like? And it's a series of prophecies, very detailed prophecies. But the rest of it, the bulk of this long extended sermon is three big parables, and we only looked at one of them. 
last week in the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids. And these three long parables are saying nothing about the day when Jesus comes. These three parables are asking the larger question, which is, how are we supposed to live in the meantime? Lord, we know you're coming and it's going to be this, uh, this amazing event and it's full of prophecy, but how are we to live our lives in the meantime? And that's really the essence, the larger point of this whole, this whole discourse, right? What, what I'm calling in, in this series, living ready. How do we live our lives in advance of Jesus coming? That's the real question. That's what's really important in this passage. Now, here in this last judgment, which is this last after those three parables, Jesus is going to speak in a very plain way. It's unmetaphorically. He doesn't speak in a metaphorical way. There's no more um, parable here. He wants to answer this question in a very direct way. How then shall we live? By saying, listen, here's how you need to live. Here's what it means to be a Christian. You need to live your lives in in, in, in love and in service to people around you who are in need, right? That's what this passage says. You need to live your lives. I need to live my life, disciples, in love and service to people who are most in need. So a couple points. First one Jesus is saying, by summary, final words in his public ministry. The true test of your faith, true test of my faith, is how you love others, okay? The true test of your faith is how you love others. Now, let me say something quickly, kind of a theological point that's um, often confused. Some people read this very famous passage and say, gee, I guess what Jesus is saying is he's sort of contradicting a lot of the New Testament and himself. He's saying, listen, what it means to be a Christian is you need to live a certain way. You have to live out these behaviors. If you feed the hungry and clothe uh, the, the naked, if you visit people in prison, if you help out the people that need help, you become a Christian. And if you don't do these things, verse 42 and following, well, then you're cursed. Those who do good are saved. Those who don't do good are, are not saved. That's not what he's saying at all, okay? It's a total misunderstanding of this passage. Before he ever mentions any behaviors, verse 35 and 36, you know, feeding and, and helping those in need, he says, listen, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father to inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Okay, those two very big ideas, talk about God's grace. You, you can't earn a blessing. It wouldn't be a blessing. And you don't earn a, a, an inheritance. It's bequeathed you. It's given to you. You receive an inheritance. There's no, be, there's no behaviors that make you a Christian. The only way to become a Christian is to receive God's grace, right? That's the whole point. This, the whole book of Matthew starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who, right? It's about receiving God's blessing, which is his gift in Jesus Christ, and the inheritance, right, that comes with receiving Jesus. So that's not changed. But what he is saying is there's a fruit to the grace of God if it takes a hold of your life. If the grace of God takes a hold, it grabs a hold of your life, becomes... Um, central to your life, there will be fruit in your life. There will be a proof, you might say, of your salvation. That's what he's saying. If someone is truly a believer, the true test of your faith is how you love others. You should be someone. I should be someone, at the very least, that does these 
kinds of things. And listen, it's, it's no accident, I'm sure, as Jesus is trying to sum this up for us in all, all people who read this, all believers of all time. It's no accident that the, the acts mentioned in this passage are, are within reach of every single person, right? These six very basic things. He doesn't say to be a Christian or an evidence of your Christianity is that you give all your, uh, that you owned uh, and all that you possess to the poor. That's not what he says. He doesn't say empty out all your bank accounts, you know, sell your home and give everything to the poor. He doesn't say you need to give over your body to be burned. These these grand um, statements. He doesn't talk about that or grand gestures. He says, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to love, um, to live your life in love and service to others? It's the very unspectacular acts of love and service to the most vulnerable around you. One writer said this about this passage, the future judgment shows that the way people treated other people um, affects God deeply. That's what this passage is saying. The way that you treat other people, the way that I treat other people, it matters to God um, very, very much. That's what this passage is telling us. Uh, I've said to some of you before, if you've listened to me speak, that I lost my father when I was when I was very very young, and um, because of that, my mother had a disproportionate influence on my life growing up as as a kid. And if I had to sum it all up, you know, say what was the the summary influence or or lesson that I learned, I would say from my mother, I would say it's that people matter. Right? That's what my mother taught me. I think as I really she never said those words. But by the way that she used her time, the way that she lived her life, the way that she uh, you know, carried herself, the decisions that she made for us as a family said that people matter. In my house, you know, we already had a lot of kids, one of six kids. And I still remember we had this very big, um, our kitchen table was like a kind of a glorified picnic table, had benches, I mean, it was very big. But there was many times, you know, where we would often have guests for dinner. And I don't mean formal guests, like you invited over somebody important. I mean, you know, so-and-so's friend, my brother's friend, my sister's friend, a neighbor, somebody was dropping something off, someone my mother knew from work and invited home. It was not unusual. There was always enough food for one more plate. That was the way she lived her life. Twice in my young life, in my pre-high um, school years, you know, and even into my adolescent years, two different times my mother invited someone in, we already had a lot of people, to live with us. Once, one of my older brother's friends, he was a um, high school student. I think they were juniors in high school. And his family, they lived around the block, they were moving out of, uh, out of the area for a job. But this friend, my brother's friend, he wanted to finish high school, right, with his friends. And so my mother said, you can live with us. He lived with us for more than a year. And he called my, I can still remember him calling my mother. First, I thought it was funny. I got used to it. Mom, not only in that year, but even years later when he would come back and visit him, he would call my mother until she died, Mom. A few years after that, my mother's sister, my aunt and her daughter, my cousin, who needed a new start. They lived in a different state. And my mother said, why don't you come live with us? And my aunt and my cousin came for not one year, for four or five years, they lived in our house. 
with us. And when I say lived in our house, there was already seven of us. I was the youngest of six kids. Uh, the house that we all lived in, so let's now say at least at that one time there was nine of us, is smaller in square footage than the house that I live in today by myself, okay? So uh, my mother illustrated for me, she taught me, I think, this lesson. Let me say this about my mother. Was my mother consciously, you know, did she think she was serving God, doing God's work, meeting Jesus by inviting people into her home, by inviting people over for dinner, etc.? I don't think she did at all. Right? I think she had no idea. I don't think that was her point of view. But that's what you see happening in this passage, right? Then, the, then they answer him, Lord, verse 37, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you naked? When did we ever see you and visit you? When did we ever see you in need, right? And Jesus said, listen, uh, you didn't necessarily consciously, but when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me, okay? So my mother didn't, uh, consciously know she was doing God's work, but she modeled it for me, okay? The true test of my faith, the true test of your faith is how you love other people. Second thing this passage teaches us, Jesus' final words in his public ministry, is the time to decide is now, right? This is, remember, he's talking to his disciples, yes, about the end of time, but it's a sermon about their lives, just like it's what I'm giving to you today. Jesus is trying to teach them something. He's trying to stimulate some thinking and some living, right? Just as I'm trying to do here today. He's saying, listen, the time to decide is now. The day is coming where I'm going to separate, just a simple simile, the sheep from the goats, the believers from the non-believers. That day is coming. How are you going to live now? The time to decide is now. Let me say this. In verse 31 and verse 32, you know, when he opens this passage, the Son of Man is going to come and he will have his angels with him and all the nations will be gathered, etc. When Jesus says these big words, it's a summary of a number of Old Testament passages. And they're all coming together. And Jesus, just a few words when it talks about the Son of Man that comes from Daniel chapter 7. And he's talking about the angels and all these nations come together. And, and let me just give you some of these verses. You can look them up. Daniel 7, Zechariah chapter 14. Joel chapter 3, Revelation chapters 16, 17, 18, and 19 all talk about this event. And not only talks about this event, this moment of judgment, but there's even some specificity to the geography where this happens. Revelation 16 calls it Armageddon. You've heard that term, if, if not in the Bible, in the movies or something. But it's also called the Valley of Megiddo. In Joel's prophecy, this place where this happens called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the Valley of Jehoshaphat is an actual um, geography and is a track of land between the um, Temple Mount, if you've been to Jerusalem or seen photographs, and the Mount of Olives. And so the writers are telling us that this great moment of the nations gathering together, of a judgment of the Son of Man coming in the clouds, etc., happens in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the word Jehoshaphat means, no mystery here, God judges. But in the prophet Joel, this track of land, this moment that this piece of property represents is given another name. It's called the valley of decision. Listen to these words, Joel 3 verses 14 to 16. 
talking about the same event. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will be darkened. The stars will no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Here's what's so amazing in this. Even in the midst of all of this judgment and conflict that comes to a head in the end of this discourse, at the end of time, according to Jesus, there is a promise both of God's protection, he will be a refuge and a stronghold, and an offer of God's grace. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now, there's at least two ways to apply this idea of the time to decide is now, okay? The valley of decision, even that you and I live in. One of those ways is that there may be some listening to me today or listening to a sermon like this that need to decide that you actually want to become a Christian. That is, you want to decide to open up your life for the very first time to receive God's grace and his forgiveness and to, you know, to, to repent of your sins, so to speak, to, 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 um, to, to surrender your pride that's key, that it maybe has kept you from receiving God's gift. And that's a great application, and it's not where I'm going this morning. But I will say this, that next week, we're going to go back and close this series, just a few verses earlier that I passed over, that sit, talk about, um, Jesus said this, you know, the gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. We're going to take a look at that verse and that idea, and we will talk about that decision next Sunday. So you can um, prepare for that, maybe invite a friend to join you to listen to that, someone who needs to um, hear and maybe receive the gospel for the first time. But the decision that Jesus is calling his disciples to hear, the original discussion, sitting on a hillside, the disciples were already Christians. And he's making a decision, he's encouraging them to make a decision. The time to decide now for them was not to become a Christian, but it was how were they were going to live their lives, right? He's saying, listen, I want you to live your life in a different way, right? I want you to be open to the, to the not just the physically vulnerable, the naked and the, and the hungry, but the emotionally vulnerable, the spiritually vulnerable, the, uh, uh, that live all around us in our day. Do you and I, right, do I think about those people today? In, this, in the moment we're living in? Do I um, pray for the emotionally and spiritually or physically vulnerable? Do I um, care about them? Do I, do I invite them over to dinner? That's what Jesus is asking. The future judgment will show that the way other people are treated, the way we treat other people affects God deeply, right? That's what this passage is telling us. And let me, let's, let's don't pass over so quickly. We could because it seems dark or, or sad or, or, or hard, the, the cursed in this passage, right? Remember, there are sheep and there are goats. He says to those on his right, listen, enter in those blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before, uh, from the foundation of the world. Come on in because you've done all these great things. But then he says to the others, 
Depart from me, you are cursed, verse 41, into eternal fire, prepare for the devil's angels. Oh my gosh. But here's what's so interesting about this. That's why it's, pay attention to these details. Jesus is making a point. Those who are cursed, they're not cursed for anything that they did. Think about that. If all you had was this passage to walk around with, to share with people, or to, or to read, or to make sense of what the Bible has to say, there's nothing in here about anything that they did wrong. There's no, the moral law of God is not even in this passage. There's no murder, there's no adultery, there's no extortion, there's no covetousness. Those who are cursed into eternal um, fire, so to speak, okay, it's not for anything that they did. It's for what they didn't do or what they don't do. He will reply. That's how it ends. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. For I was hungry in the, in, in, in the hearts and the minds and the lives of the vulnerable. I was hungry and you can give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. You just looked the other way. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Many people have said to me, you know, is the coronavirus a judgment? Is it God's judgment on the world? And I would say, I wouldn't, you know, uh, for, uh, speak for God. I can't speak for God, so I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't even answer that question, but I'll give you my opinion. I don't think it's a judgment <laughs> about from God. If God wants to execute judgment, that's not it, in my opinion. But I would say this is what I think it is, my opinion. I think it's a severe mercy to all people, Christians and non-Christians. It's a, it's a time for all of us to catch our breath and to examine our lives, to ask ourselves whether the way we are living our lives is actually meaningful? Does it really matter? Are we making the most of the months and the years that we have, however young we might be or old we might be, okay? The time of decision is now. So let me end with a, with a challenge and a question for all of us, right? And the challenge and the question is this, who will you choose to love today? Who will I choose to love today? And let me say something about this famous passage. At least one thing it says to us, that every single one of us, right? Anyone listening to me today, including me, every one of us has access to Jesus through the people in need around us, right? That's why Jesus doesn't have these grand gestures. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was uh, a stranger, you invited me in. When I was in prison, you visited me. Every single one of us has access to Jesus in, the, in meeting the most simple needs of the most vulnerable around us. The other thing this passage tells us is this. I think we're, in many ways, we're asking the wrong questions and we're looking for God in the wrong places, right? Is God in the, in the coronavirus? Let me tell you something. I believe God is in the coronavirus. Where, Rob? He's in the spiritually, emotionally, and physically vulnerable all around us, all around you, all around me. That's where he is. And what he's saying to you, I think, what he's saying to me, what I'm saying to us is, listen, put down the remote, okay, or whatever it is, the, the device, 
and pick up the pen or the paper and start writing notes to people who you might who might need to hear from you who are vulnerable spiritually emotionally uh pick up the phone and call that brother that friend that neighbor whoever people who are vulnerable or in need listen pick up your car keys open your wallet and go meet a need for other people around you love other people the way that god has loved you right this is how you live ready this is how i live ready and i'm not sure that this message isn't more important for you and my and me today than it has ever been in our lifetimes right um the test the true test of our faith is how we love others the time of decision is now and you and i have an opportunity right now right this season in our life to love other people the way that god has loved us amen join me as i close this uh, morning this time in prayer god and father i just thank you for the opportunity again to be here with my brothers and sisters friends in uh in, this morning uh in in this time in this in this service together and i just pray lord for all of us for me for everyone listening to me help us lord to see uh, through, even in this passage, the heart of God, to see, Lord, that what matters most to you is how other people are treated, how we treat other people. This is what deeply affects you. It's what, it's what motivates your heart. And help us, Lord, right now, even in our limitations and the challenges that we have, help us, Lord, to see the world more the way that you do. Help us to see people um, whatever, wherever, whatever they look like on the outside, to see their, um, see them the way that you do, as people who are who are uh, vulnerable in need, who truly need the love that you have given to us, and help us, Lord, to to get busy extending that love in 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 even the simplest ways, um, in in these days that we live, Lord, open our hearts, bring bring to mind. Lord, the very people you want us to serve and to join you in serving this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.